Tom Gimble, founder, CEO, LaSalle Network, makes a return to the show. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great, John. I wish the outcome of last night would have been different, but otherwise I'm good. Are you the one person in the Chicago area rooting for Washington last night? I think there's a lot of anti-Michigan sentiment, but that's just me, John. Just actually, me. now that you mention it, you betcha. But I wonder how many people are, what I said, actually rooting for Washington. Are true Washington Huskies fans, or were they just anti-Michigan people? Which are you? No, this was like anti-Trump or anti-Biden votes. It was an anti-Michigan vote. Correct. Understood, understood. Hey, by the way, speaking of hostility, deserved or otherwise, can I read you an email we got from a listener? I'd love it. No, you wouldn't. Says, hey, John Williams, Happy New Year. Wondering if you read that opinion article in today's Tribune from January 4th, why are companies refusing to fully embrace flexible work? It made me think of that guy you frequently have on. I'm sure you know who I'm speaking of, who drives me nuts and is always talking about how necessary it is to get employees, capital letters now, back to the office. It's a really good article, one this dude should read. I believe you are the dude. And I'll just read you a paragraph from the article. It was in the January 4th Tribune. Americans are culturally hardwired to define work as incompatible with flexibility. If employees are happy and relaxed, they must not really be working. And attempts to transform the workplace crash into this harsh reality. They're talking about whether or not it's okay for employees to still work from home. And a lot of employers want employees to come back because why? And here's what the article says. I am an anthropologist who studies the cultural assumptions that shape how humans think about work. Americans define work as a form of virtuous sacrifice, which makes discomfort a prerequisite. Long commutes, unforgiving hours, 24-7 availability are not the unfortunate side effects of the modern workplace. They are the prerequisites of it in America. Your thoughts, Tom Gimble? No, I am not an anthropologist. I am a capitalist, and I believe that he who has the job or she who has the job to offer determines where the work is done. And we, capitalism in its purest sense, is that of supply and demand. And that if you want a job, you go to where the work is, the same way as uh, it was with the gold rush and going west and everything else and finding America and all that good stuff. I, I, I think that if a company, an entrepreneur, or a CEO wants to have a remote workforce, that they should. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that if it works and they grow and they increase shareholder value and the company does well, God bless. And I think that if another CEO believes that it's the best thing to have people in the office and to work, that that's how it should be. I think some people like homeschooling. Some people want to send them to school. Some like private. Some like public. Like, I'm not here to mandate what it should be. I'm here to say that the employers have the right to do what they think is best. And in my personal opinion, I think that being in the office is a great connectivity and allows for success. But if somebody else does it and they can control it, good for them. But is the danger in that that as long as the employer is the decider about this, they may be cutting off their nose to spite their face? That no, they're tethered no, I, to I, this old world way of thinking about it, when in fact, if an employee is leisurely or comfortable, but they're still getting the job done, you shouldn't fight that, boss. 
No, I, I don't think it's a matter of being leisurely or, or, or joyful or anything like this. The question is a matter of efficiency and is, is the employee, is the, is the business division, is the company doing all that it can be? If something is, is of the, the, um, the minds or thought process that is from a time since past, the company will fail, John. Like, like if the company succeeds doing it a certain way, then it succeeds. If it, at the end of the day, success and failure determines whether a decision was right or wrong. And of an employee deciding that they want a certain way to do it, then go start it. If you can't find a job doing it, there must be a reason why. No, but hopefully, but ho- hopefully you as the employer, and I, I'm you as in general, I'm not talking about Tom Gimbel yeah, right. per se, although maybe I am, but I mean, hopefully the employer is smart and flexible himself or herself enough to realize that happy employees may be better employees and don't drag them all into the office because that's the way you want it done. That might actually be counterproductive. But as the but this is we're eliminating the aspect of accountability and responsibility. And the definition of a boss is the buck stops there. And whether you're the president of a company, whether you're the mayor of a city, whether you're the president of the United States, whatever you are, that you make the decisions and you live with the consequences and you lose your job, you get promoted, whatever the case may be. And so if somebody wants to run a, a company that they're in charge of a certain way, I, I, I have bad news for the employee. You don't get to pick any more than the babysitter gets to tell the parent how they should raise the child or what they should do in their house. I also see on CNBC the worst way to answer, what are your weaknesses per hiring pro? I believe the hiring pro is you, and you're quoted in this article. Can we pick it up here in a minute? Let's do it. Why are you laughing, Tom? I find our dialogue entertaining and fun, and I hope the last texture did, too. Uh, Ditto here. Tom Gimbel, founder and CEO of LaSalle Networks, on the line. By the way, a couple of text messages about our conversation, Tom. 847 said, I totally agree with the business owner calling the shots. People should start their own businesses if they want to have control like that. We're talking about flexible work schedules. 847 said, LOL, same as the gold rush? The capabilities of technology during the gold rush were non-existent. Tom Gimbel needs to move into the new century. And one more, Tom. Hey, John Williams, why aren't you working from home most days? Um, I don't know that I need to answer that. The, because my industry is my industry and yours is yours, and maybe the oh. circumstances oh. are different, but I need oh. to be in the halls. I need to bump into producer Pete and Mary and Steve and Joe and all of the people here. Why, now why are you ooing and aahing? I, I think you just hit the nail right on the head. Is that, is that situations are, are, are right and, and industries are unique? And companies have to make decisions. What we want to have, what people want is they want to have their cake and eat it too. Let me work where I want. But you know what? How about if they get laid off? How about if a company's going to do a layoff and then they're going to get laid off? Oh, you're laying me off because I work from home. Or because I'm, you know, it, it's, when, when economies are good and everything works for everybody, everybody's happy. But that's not how you grow a business. A, a business is determined by how you handle adversity, not how a, a rising tide lifts all boats mentality. And that's what we had in 2001 and 2002 
is we had an economy that was in such rebound from the pandemic that everything was great. So employees think, I can work from anywhere, and this will last for forever. It doesn't last for forever. Nothing does. And, and, and you have to be open. So people say, I'm a dinosaur for, for thinking that you have to be in the office. I don't think you have to be in the office all the time. What I believe, what I believe is that a company where the office is the central point of business, where people come in four or five days a week, four or five days a week, lends itself, lends itself to continuity and creativity and camaraderie. That's what I believe. And I think the results from those are better. In if this, you don't, you should go start a company. In this CNBC article, they quote you as talking about what the answer should be to the question, what are your weaknesses? I suppose this is during the job interview process, and they say, what are your weaknesses? Does that question really get asked? Do you recommend that question gets asked, Tom? I don't love the question unless you follow up the answer with another, with another question on the topic. So what, what you're referring to is when somebody says, I'm a perfectionist, or I work too much, or you know, they give BS answers versus giving an honest thing of what you're not good at. I, I'm a, a person that likes authenticity. So I want to see that you actually can look in the mirror and say, this isn't great. I'm not really good at this. I overcompensate in this area because I stink at that. Like, to me, I want that person on my team. Really? I want Dennis Rodman to say, I get 25 rebounds because my jump shot is not good. Well, that's a nice way to couch that. But give me an example in the real world, the office world, the business world, of a, an acceptable answer when somebody asked to describe their weakness actually tells something that maybe in front of a different hiring agent might disqualify them from getting the job. Give me an acceptable answer uh, where I'm honest about my weakness. Sure. I am... Uh a person who's going in a more executive role, and they say, you know what, understanding balance sheets and finance isn't my strength. What I'm really good at is organizational development and client interfacing. And so if I have this role, I'm going to need a really strong finance person to be the yin to my yang who, who can really walk that path for me and help me in that regard because finance is not my thing, but I can grow revenue and profitability if I have a great number two person. Would you also include in that answer, and I can get a lot better at it? If you train me, I'll be a lot better on the finance side? Yeah, I think I would say if I have the right person as my, as my right hand, I will grow and I will learn. I'm committed to it, but I'm never going to be that person. But I work too hard, even if I do work too hard. <laughs> um, you, you don't want to hear that, what you described as BS answer. I mean, that, that does sound uh, prepackaged, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it, it's trying to cut. It's not it's not authentic. Oh, oh, you know, if you say I'm a perfectionist, that's my biggest weakness. I'd say terrific. Where has it damaged your career? Where has it damaged your work? <laughs> yeah. Where has it damaged your product? Like, tell me where tell me where the negative ramifications are for that. Wow. I mean, I've just never imagined this. It's been a long time since I interviewed for a job, but you think you should be prepared to reveal something like that about yourself? A job is like a relationship. If you don't go in and, and be honest with the person you're dating about what your, your weaknesses are, that's going to be a pretty rocky marriage down the road. Mm. And, and that's the exact same thing when you go to work for somebody and they're paying you. 
So be honest about what your weaknesses are and go to work for somebody who knows what they're getting coming in. And I'm telling you, you're going to have a better relationship and a more a more rewarding career because you're managing expectations. Hmm. It's been a long time since I was dating, too. And when I was, I, I lied all the time. Uh, it says here at the end of the article, Gimbel's number one underrated tip for excelling at a job interview comes down to a little humility. Be honest about what you stink at. Oh, that's... That's a that's an interesting take, Tom. But that's uh, that's what we come to you for. Very interesting today. <laughs> I give you what I got, John. I give you what I got. Nice to talk to you, my friend. Let's do it next week. You got to be safe. Tom Gimble is the CEO and founder of LaSalle Network. You can check his business out at thelasallenetwork.com. Tom Gimble always uh, spurs a lot of conversation and text messages. 847, is Tom hiring? I want to work for him. The next text, I agree, disagree with that Tom Gimbel. Uh, the what is your weakness should never be asked in an interview. Too many hiring managers would hold it against you. And uh, the list goes on. I'll read more of these a little later on on the show. Somebody said about working from home, which Tom is not a great fan of, Work-from-home people take up spots for weeks at a time when it's snowing like it is outside. And somebody else reminded us that working from home saves them a lot of money on commuting and parking and gives them more time to work. Speaking of uh, working, Dennis Rodkin is in our studio. Do you work from home or do you check in at Cranes or the Tribune or someplace? Both. We're, we come into the newsroom three days a week. And the other days I work at home. But really, I mean, I work in motion. You know, I got to go to these properties. You are a residential real estate reporter covering the Chicago area for Crane's Chicago Business. Chicagobusiness.com is the website. And when you go into a newsroom, I think the old image of the Sun-Times Tribune, maybe even Crane's, was a bunch of, uh, well, back then, typewriters clattering away, but maybe now keyboards and people. Is it like that in a newsroom at Crane's? It is, but we, you know, you've got to talk on the phone and everybody, people aren't used to that anymore. So mostly we go into the conference rooms. It's it's pretty quiet in the newsroom, Mo- chatting, talking to each other. But when you're working, you're more likely to go into one of the conference rooms or breakout spaces. I wonder what we used to do about that, because here at WGN Radio, we have a sales area. There's a bunch of bays, right. open area bays, where people have their little cubicles. Our salespeople are making calls, sometimes with sensitive information, sometimes competitive information with even other people on the staff. And they don't want to be barking away about what they're going to be doing or what deal they're trying to make. So they're always getting up and walking into what are maybe an insufficient number of quiet rooms for the staff. I don't know if the next generation of office design will think about that. We don't, if we have cubicles, I guess you got to have somewhere to put your laptop, but, um, we need more private phone space. More soundproofing, yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. If you've got a colleague who's, you know, I'm on deadline and trying to think to get my story written, but you're doing your reporting and talking to people on the phone, we're out of sync. I need quiet and you don't. And at some point, those two are going to reverse. And that's it's hard to uh, maneuver, I think, harder since COVID because we had so much more control over our own space for three years. One of your stories at ChicagoBusiness.com, Trump Tower condo with rock memorabilia for rent. Tell me this story. 
Oh, this one's amazing. And in fact, this has a whole soundproof room if you're going to play the electric guitar. This is a guy, um, he, he has a four-bedroom condo at Trump. They're moving to Miami because his fiance got a job down there. He has rock and roll memorabilia like you can't even believe. It, it's about an hour-long tour, and he's renting the place with it all in there. There are guitars sign, signed by members of The Jam and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. There are album covers signed by each of the Beatles. There, it, there's this soundproof room and all these electric guitars. There are literally hundreds of vinyl albums, box sets, individual albums, um, the turntables to play them on in the bedrooms, in, the, in this music room. There's, there's other stuff. There are watches that characters wore in the Untouchables, and there's a video game. There's an arcade game where you can play Ms. Pac-Man and things like that. It's he, he said it's everything he loved in his childhood, but now he's in his 60s and he's able to collect it, and he's renting it all. With the he's leaving the the condo furnished with all of that if you rent it for thirty thousand a month. I guess he's not worried, or I, what does he? think about other people damaging his stuff. I, that was my very first question when I met him in the front door of his condo, and he said, I'm charging 30000 a month. You know, the, he said, the demographic I'm aimed at is people who would be respectful of this sort of thing. They would probably be fellow long, lifelong rock and roll fans like I am, and they would think, I don't want to mess this up for this guy. Right. People who have $30,000 a month are going, Billy, no, stop! Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Um, Billy is now 30 years old. Yeah, no kidding. And so I guess you list it for rent that way, right. all of this stuff. And does he have tenants? Not yet. It just came on the market. I just wrote about it last week. It came on, went up for rent. They're moving now to Miami. Um, and it, it, they haven't yet called me to say that it's been rented, but it's only been available for a short time. That's weird, though. Do you suppose the potential person is somebody who's only going to be in town for a short while? Maybe they're... A tourist who can stay in Chicago for a month or a business person passing through. That's just such a weird I don't know that niche. he would rent it for a single month. That's that's difficult for a landlord. But I do think it would be it could be a short timer like an athlete, professional athlete, yeah, CEO, right. somebody else is paying your rent, really want sort of a baller kind of a place and here's all this rock and roll stuff. So it's got the granite countertops? It's got yeah, it's got a it's got a really beautiful kitchen. Um, it's got all those things you're going to look for. But then, what differentiates it is picture discs, and I mean, so much memorabilia. It's really hard to believe. One last question about this story. Mm-hmm. We're visiting with Dennis Rodkin from Crane's Chicago business. This place is in the Trump Tower. When people buy or sell uh, a condo at Trump Tower, how much is the name on the building an issue? How much time do we have today, John? Um, I think it is an issue. I think uh, when Trump first got elected, I did a couple of stories where people clearly had purchased because they wanted to support that president. Um, There also have been studies. We reported them over the course of the first several years of his presidency where um, very large inventory of unsold condos, prices came down. It's now hard to separate that out because prices have come down on downtown condos overall because of crime and COVID and everything else. Um, But definitely during his presidency, it was news when one sold. A couple of them sold for very high prices, but a lot of them sat on the market. And so some people will be buying there so they can say, I live at Trump Tower. And that's a wink and a nod. 
And on the other side of the coin are the people who say, I wouldn't even look at a place for Trump. That, and I think, I don't know that you could say it's 50-50, but I think there are, peop- there are also people who, I mean, you know, it is a beautiful building. Amen. Spectacular condos inside. Location, I've always thought too. really one of the greatest buildings in Chicago. Um, so there are some people who just, you know, don't care either way. But I think that. you can find people who would say, I'd live there because of the name on, on the outside. And you can also find people who'd say, I wouldn't even go near it. The riverfront retail space is still not sold. Yeah. The build, what, when did the building open? I think it's 2007 and it's still empty. And I think it's sort of interesting. Which is a mystery. Yeah. If you walk on the Riverwalk, you can see that all, all of that these space empty is empty. Spaces. There should be a Starbucks. There should be a restaurant or a bar. There could be a mattress giant. I mean, it's like that. <laughs> I think, yeah. Well, so I think you're more likely to get something like a mattress giant for a specific reason, not that brand, but it's real deep space. Like you're not going to put... A, a, uh, a Starbucks would just be sort of the outer rim. The The space was intended as ballrooms and that sort of thing, real deep. Oh. So you've got all that nice window space along the, the river or the, the river's edge as the building is designed. But then it goes way in. It goes oh. like a block deep no kidding. inside the building. So it's dark. Obviously, you'd have electric lights, but it wouldn't be daylit. And I think that is one of the big problems that it has faced is... And they haven't yet said, well, okay, so we'll just chop it up and just rent out the rim right. for a Starbucks or a whatever else you said. Sure. Mattress giant. Mattress giant. You know, a big warehouse type store. I'm not saying that, that the landlords would go for that, but a big warehouse type store could do it because of the depth of the space. Right, but I'm nibbling at the idea that it's the name on the front, but it may be the design of that area itself. That you just be. want to see the name Mattress Giant hanging off the side of that building at the 30th floor. It's 1244. This is WGN. Okay, that's not all I want to talk to Dennis Rodkin about. We'll pick it up here in a minute. Let's get you more business news first with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The office of Illinois Governor Pritzker says the governor and his staff have been given assurances by United Airlines that the company is not planning to leave Chicago. This follows reports United purchased a large chunk of real estate in Denver for a flight training center with the possibility of a large corporate campus as well. United purchased 113 acres near Denver International Airport back in August of 2023. In conversations with United officials, the governor's office says the airline gave assurances it has no intention of moving out of the state. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. This is the Business of Food with Steve Alexander. Yeah, thank you. And I love doing stories about coffee so I can play this Manhattan transfer classic. (laughs) Sorry about the scratchy vinyl. I love coffee. I love tea. More about a new kind of coffee with no beans required after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. And we're going long distance today to Finland. Yeah, my name is Heiko Rischer and, and I'm head of plant biotechnology here at VTT Technical Research Center of Finland. He's part of a team of researchers who are making lab-grown coffee. Exactly. Why? 
Why? Yeah, well, that's a general question I'm getting a lot. <laughs> Heichel and his team are looking into the future where climate change and ethical issues make growing coffee the way it has been grown unsustainable. Those are the initial drivers, uh, I, I would say. So a new source of our morning joe needs to be found because more of the world is wanting it. Because the uh, whole of Asia is, is slowly moving towards coffee from the tea. Okay. Well, how do you grow coffee in a lab? We're taking certain parts of the plant, can be a leaf in our case, or it can be other parts of the plant. And from there, we initiate uh, cell cultures. So we, we only want the pure coffee cells. And those we can grow on a defined artificial medium, which is consisting basically of a sugar source and then some minerals. But it's rather simple. And from that, they grow the coffee cells into what he calls a biomass. But the biomass can be harvested and it can be dried. So you can do the same kind of roasting like with normal coffee. What you end up with is exactly a similar looking brown powder, which you can put in a, in a coffee filter and, and brew your uh, coffee from it. And your taste testers liked it? Yeah, they were clear that this is tastes like a coffee. So what's next? Visionary parties get interested in this and who would be willing to really invest further and, and, and bring this ultimately, of course, to the market. He says that'll take some years, but it's coming. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. On the food calendar, today's National Apricot, or Apricot if you prefer, day. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Dennis Rotkin's in our studio from Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, why is guaranteed rate suing somebody? Who is guaranteed rate? I know the stadium, and why are they suing somebody? They're a very large mortgage lending company based in Chicago, and they are suing a competitor, New American Funding, over poaching of employees. Uh, they claim they filed a suit in December saying that in the course of 2023, this other firm, so Guaranteed Rate is based here, New American Funding is based in Southern California, and they claim that New American Funding poached at least 30 employees using tactics like, uh, and this is all allegations in a lawsuit, using tactics like uh, approaching you and saying, hey, I know uh, we know each other on LinkedIn and you don't actually have a LinkedIn account. It's actually that somebody who has left guaranteed rate and is not yet through the period when he can't recruit um, other employees has made the contact. Um, they claim that uh, contracts were breached, that people with non-disclosures took uh, information with them that again people did recruiting before the terms of their original contract ran out when you are prohibited from bringing other people along with you um, this is all allegations in their lawsuit and um, we're waiting to see uh, how the, how new american funding responds or whether the judge grants an injunction the guaranteed rate asked the judge to halt this practice by new american funding I thought the laws had moderated on non-compete contracts, that in fact it was more favorable to employees who want to jump ship. Maybe not, or maybe not in this business? Well, according to the filing by Guaranteed Rate, according to Guaranteed Rate's attorneys, these people who left, one in particular, the head of an office in southern Illinois, left, a lot of people followed him, and he, he in particular had a contract that stipulated he would not um, recruit people out of Guaranteed Rate if he left, he wouldn't encourage them to leave their jobs, etc. So according to uh, at least their reading of his contract, he was in, in breach of all this. And others in, I can't remember all the other states, but Arizona, Florida, mm -hmm. Texas, 
did similar things, according to the lawsuit. Well, speaking of the business of real estate, what's happened with the National Association of Realtors here? Um, did I already say how much time do you have, John? Because this one, so they have been, there's been a lot of tumult there over the course of the last few months. The most recent news yesterday is that the president resigned abruptly. The she, new president. The new president. She had only had the job for about five months. She resigned claiming that somebody had threatened to blackmail her. If you don't, uh, as it said, compromise the National Association of Realtors, we will reveal some, uh, how did she put it? personal non-financial information. So not something that had to do with the National Association of Realtors. She got the job five months ago when the previous president had to step down over sexual harassment uh, investigations by the New York Times, which showed quite a pattern of sexual harassment. Both of those were, they were the president, they were the volunteer leader. The staff leader, the CEO, uh, was replaced just a couple of months ago, not only because of claims that he had supported the sexual harassment, uh, the sexual harassing uh, president, but also because uh, the National Association of Realtors has been a defendant in these cases you and I have talked about over the structure of real estate commissions, and the NAR lost. So he seems to have been on the losing side twice. So he was abruptly replaced with a new CEO. And uh, the National Association of Realtors just released new membership figures showing that it lost members for the first time since 2012. What's the value of being in that association? It ha that well, that has been uh, argued in recent months because of the way listings services work, uh -huh. the way um, not uh, the whole process of selling a home uh, that uses things like Redfin and Zillow and, and other um, uh, products products whose pipeline begins at the multiple listing service. Uh, but it has always been an organization to work to belong to because of professional standards, um, training, access to materials like um, everything from business cards 50 years ago to websites today. Uh, but I think we're going to have to see what changes are made at the organization because it's been, it's been hit several times. You wrote Tracy Casper, that's the woman we're talking about, resigned after receiving a threat to disclose a past personal non-financial matter unless she compromised her position at NAR. What does compromise her position mean? Stepping down? I, uh, well, I don't know. She, that's in the statement from the National Association. Is, I don't know what that means. A threat. She resigned after receiving a threat to disclose a past personal non-financial matter, so something about her that doesn't have to do with the business maybe, but maybe is embarrassing, unless she compromised her position at NAR. I don't know. That's how they phrased it. They will not comment beyond that. She's not reachable. Um, I, I think what it means is unless you step down, we will release this information, but we don't know from that terminology whether that's what they how were asking. How do you interpret her therefore stepping down? Well, the way she put it in the statement they released is, uh, you know, that same, that thing that politicians say, I don't want to be a distraction. She didn't use those terms, but she said the National Association of Realtors has a lot to do and a lot going on. I'm getting out of the way so it can continue to make progress because, I mean, tacitly acknowledging that there are all these other problems they have to deal with. She doesn't want to be another one. You and I got to get out of the way. It's always nice to talk to you, Dennis Rodkin. Thanks. And uh, read you as well and Crane's Chicago Business. You can click on chicagobusiness.com. Dennis, do visit with us again. Thanks, John.